Thank you. Good. So uh, what I would like you to do actually this morning, and you know I'm a teacher, right? So I'm allowed to give quizzes. And I'm going to give you a quiz today, and it's on the back side of your handout. And uh, what you see there is something that you might even recognize if you have been here for a while. Uh, we used something like this last spring, all the way back to, uh, if you can think back to last May. And it's a, it's a neighborhood map. It's a chart of where you live. Now, I know that uh, the setting might look a little bit different uh, if you live in an apartment or just depending on what kind of uh, neighborhood you live in, what's across the street, what's beside you, but uh, adapt it the best that you're able. If you need one of these, go ahead and if you would, put your hand up so Jonathan can see you. Thank you, Jonathan. Appreciate that very much. All right. And uh, the idea is to think about who lives around you. And so the, you see the house in the middle, that's, that's your house or where you live, and the door is your front door. So this would be as if you're looking at your front door. So if you're looking at, at the front door of your house and you look to the right and maybe there's a house. Now, maybe not. Maybe you live in the country and it's two miles to the next house. That's okay. Now, you can put that one in there. And then to the left and then the one behind it, the one in front of it, and then uh, catty corner. You know what that means, right? Uh, diagonally uh, on either side, front and back as well. And, and so here's the quiz. And no, no guilt, no shame yet. Um, but but just, just think about who lives there. And the best you can, fill in names. So think about the person that lives to the right of your house. If you know one person's name in that house, if you know two people's names, if you know more than that, you can even put cats and dogs and parakeets if you want to. So just the best you can. No cheating, by the way. This is, this is for you uh, to do your own work. <laughs> okay. All right. And just, just think about it the best you can. Just the best you can. So think about either side, across the street or in front and back. Again, if you're in an apartment building or something, adapt this the best you can or just whatever, whatever your situation looks like the best you can. Okay? I'll give you a minute to do that. Now, once you've done that, think about another, another question. What do they do in the sense of occupation, job, vocation, career? And if you can think of one person, include that. If you can think of more than one, if there's more than one in the household that has a job or a career or a vocation, you can put that down. Retired, you can put that. So name, names, job, vocation, occupation. And then one more, and that is just some fact about them. It could be really anything, something they like to do. Uh, maybe they moved from out of state, and you know that about them. Possibly um, just something they enjoy doing as a family, or that, the, that one of them enjoys doing. Fishing, tennis, boating, running. Or it could be something they have gone through, a hard time that they've experienced. Some trial, some sickness or problem that you're aware of. So just one, one fact, anything. 
about that person or household or family, whatever it might be, who lives there. So, names, as many as you can. Occupation. And one other fact. And we'll come back to this. And um, as you're finishing that up, go ahead and join me in Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Our passage today that we're looking at in the book of Romans is about loving your neighbor. And as I shared with you a few weeks ago, Pastor Dan and I talked and prayed and, and discussed what we might want to focus on preaching from over these uh, weeks ahead of us. And uh, we are in Romans chapters 12 through 16. There's a lot of emphasis in these passages on how to live out the gospel. Our lives are transformed by the gospel. And today we come to a passage that deals with loving our neighbor. So that's one of the ways that our lives are transformed by the gospel. And by the way, we're not going to take every single verse, every single passage in, in these chapters. So we'll, we'll cover most of them, but we might um, skip a little bit. And that's what we're doing today as we come down to, uh, to verse 8 of Romans 13. And, and as, as we get to this, um, I want to share with you, there's, there's a book that I have read and I actually used for a class. It's called The Art of Neighboring. And that's where this little neighborhood map comes from. And one of the, the, the things that this book emphasizes is that when we think about loving, when you think about loving your neighbor, often we think very broadly. We think universally. We think, well, that's everybody, right? Who's your neighbor? Well, everybody's your neighbor. So do I love everybody? Yep, I do. I love everybody, so I'm, I've got that one covered, right? I love my neighbor. And what this book challenges you to do is actually think locally, actually think on a very personal level to who is your neighbor, Think of the person, think of the individuals that you actually are physical neighbors to. And then, and then ask yourself the question, do I love that person? And how do I love that person? And how can I or should I show love to that individual? So please keep that thought in mind this morning. Not, not love your neighbor in a broad, generic way, but love those neighbors that are on your sheet. Now look with me at Romans chapter 13. I'll read for us the passage we'll be studying this morning. Look with me at Romans chapter 13, starting with verse 8. Romans 13 verse 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So I'm, I'm labeling this paying the debt you always owe. Romans 12 through 16, Romans chapters 12 through 16 are about how the gospel transforms our relationships. Romans chapter 13 in the passage prior to the one we're looking at today talks about how the gospel transforms your relationship with civil authorities. The one that we're looking at today, the section we're looking at today talks about how the gospel transforms your relationship with your neighbors 
And then the one after this in Romans 13 talks about how the gospel transforms your relationship with the ungodly world around you. And and verse 8 tells us that you and I owe a perpetual debt. And that debt is to love others. So we're going to talk about paying the debt you always owe. And, And let's start out by understanding whom we owe. To whom do we owe something? Well, look at the language he uses in, in verse 8. He says, oh, no one. So there's a, an absolute negative. Nobody, anything, except to love one another. All right, so now there's the positive side. So the negative is, is nobody. The, the positive is, is one another. So he's stating this negative to highlight the positive. And he's not saying, and we could go down this trail, but I won't this morning. I don't think he's saying you should never, ever have any debt. You should never have a house mortgage or anything like that. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think there is the principle that you should not be perpetually in debt. You should not be under under the dominion of debt, and you should always pay your debts. There's that principle. But what he's saying is something, something more than that. He's saying there is one debt that is never fully paid. To whom do you owe this debt? One another. And we know in the context, as, as we said, these, these chapters, chapters 12 through 16, Paul uses the one another, I think it's 14 times. So he's emphasizing our relationships, and, and we would say at least he's talking about other Christians. So, so you have a perpetual debt to other believers. And again, let's localize that. We would say to each other in this room this morning, for sure. But then he uses another, another word in, in verse 8, and it's, it's the word another. He says, uh, to love one another for he who loves, and then the next word, another. Now this is another word for other, are you with me? This is a word that actually means, he's saying, the other. Like, here's, here's us, and then there's that other that other person, those other people. And it's possibly he's emphasizing here the fact that he's talking about somebody who's different, somebody who's outside the normal group that you associate with, somebody who's beyond the walls of this building, somebody maybe that you would not naturally develop a relationship with, the other. So really, we're asking the question, to whom do we owe this perpetual debt And we would say, really, we'd say other Christians, but also people outside of our normal group. And really, it would be anyone that you come into contact with. And in verses 9 and 10, he uses the word neighbor repeatedly, doesn't he? So who's your neighbor? You know what? Somebody else asked that question one time, didn't they? Go with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. A lawyer said, Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Luke 10, 25. Luke 10, 26, Jesus said, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And he says, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So the the lawyer knew what he was supposed to do. And so Jesus says in Luke 10, 28, you've answered rightly, do this and you'll live. But he, wanting to justify himself, we might say excuse himself or get out from under 
the obligation, kind of wriggle out from under it, says to Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus has a story, doesn't he? He answers and says, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. These are the people you would think would have enough concern to help or maybe even at least feel an obligation like, oh, I'm a, I'm a priest, I'm a Levite, I should, I should do something here. Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, this would be the outcast. As he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I come again, I'll repay you. So there's the story, and then Jesus returns, he flips it, and turns the question back on the lawyer. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? So Jesus made the point that the question is, who are you a neighbor to, right? And he said, well, he who showed mercy on him. And he said, go and do likewise. So I think we can say from this that, that your neighbor is anybody you happen to come across, come into contact with, and we might even add to that that you can care for. Compassion. He had compassion on him. That's what the, the lawyer answered. Well, he had, he had mercy on him. He had compassion on him. Anybody you come across that you can have compassion on, that you can care about, that you can show concern to, and yes, maybe even help as well. So the emphasis is not on identifying so much who your neighbor is, but, but who it is that you should be a neighbor to. And if you go back to, to the book of Romans, we know that what we looked at last week at the end of chapter 12 is that the people that, that you should love include people that make life rough for you, even are hateful towards you, right? So it just continues expanding out and expanding out. So who's your neighbor? Well, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely going to include the people on your map, right? For sure, it would include them. Would any of those people not be included in the people that you are to love individually and specifically? Is anybody on your neighbor map, anybody excluded from that? I don't know of a reason why any of them would be. Now, what if we did one of these neighbor maps around our church? And this is a challenge to all of us. How many of these could we fill in? And again, I know we have businesses and parking lots around us and that kind of thing, but there are some homes and the businesses have people in them, running them, owning them. They're our neighbors. And, and perhaps some of you could fill in some of those, and that's great. But it's a good question to think about, isn't it? And, and would any one of them not qualify as the neighbors that we, as the body of Christ, are to love? So we've identified whom we owe, Christians for sure, others, the others, those we're not normally associated with, those we come in contact with that we can have compassion on, that we can show concern for, pretty much includes anybody within our reach, doesn't it? But it's also important to understand what it is that we owe. 
And Paul makes that clear as well. So he says in verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love one another. Now, look through, uh, look through verses 8 to 10 quickly and count how many times you see the word love. And just keep the number to yourself. So look through verses 8, 9, and 10. Just scan those and count how many times you see the word love. You got it? Okay. Hold up how many fingers you found. How many fingers, how many times you found love. Go ahead. Put it up there. Okay. All right. Good. Yeah, it's five. If you got five, that's good. You think repetition in the scriptures is there for a reason? It is, isn't it? Because the author wants us to get it, wants us to see what it is that he is highlighting. And he does that here for us five times in these three verses. This is the unconditional selfless love we know of as, as the Greek word agape, agape love. It is even a sacrificial love that God himself has demonstrated to us. He demonstrated his love to us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died to us. It is this, this selfless, sacrificial love that God himself show, has shown to us, but also it's a love that he works in us and enables us to show to others. And it's an interesting way that Paul presents this. He calls it a debt. He says, don't, don't be perpetually in debt. Don't be in the bondage of debt. Make sure you do pay your bills, fulfill your financial obligations. But there's one debt that in this life, at least, will never be paid off. And that's the debt of love. One translation of this is, let no debt remain outstanding. That's good advice, good financial advice. Pay your bills. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Now, as I was studying this passage, actually verse 7 caught my eye. I was trying to understand it in the context. I was reading the verses before it. And verse 7 caught my eye. Look at verse 7. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Well, that's a conclusion to what he was just talking about with our civil authorities. And he was saying, you owe something to your governing authorities. One of the prerogatives of civic authorities is to require us to pay taxes. And Jesus said, right, render to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God what's God's. And, and we have that obligation, like it or not, right? Painful as it might be, as much as we might disagree with how it's used or, or misused, that's an obligation we have. And so that, that he's, sum, he's summarizing here and he's saying, he's saying you need to, to pay what you owe to the ones you owe, your taxes. Customs might be like other civic fees or it might be like property taxes, but also, or excuse me, um, income taxes, but also property taxes or sales taxes, so different types of taxes that we might pay. So taxes and customs, but then also respect and honor. It's not just financial, it's also the respect that we show. So he's saying, this is what you owe civic authorities. And, and when he says in, in verse 7, to all their due, so the word render means pay, to all their due, it, it is the word that means to what you owe. What you owe. It's the, it's the same word in the original language that he starts verse 8 with. 
So pay them what you owe. What do you owe to those civic authorities? Let's, let's go with the tangible one. You owe taxes. And this time of year, we're feeling a little bit of that pressure to think about, okay, I've got to pull it all together and you know, get my forms filled out and, and figure it all out. All right, let me reel you back in. Your mind just went out to that, right? <laughs> Distraction of taxes. All right, come on back in. And, and think about the fact that that's the same sense of obligation of debt, of responsibility that he is saying we have when it comes to showing love to other people. It's like a bill that is due. It's like a payment that you make. And if you own a house or you rent an apartment, you know that every month that payment comes due. And it's perpetual until it's paid off. Well, he's saying there's a perpetual obligation to pay love to other people. In fact, love is the currency of relationships that are transformed by the gospel. Whether it's in our homes, in our church, or with our neighbors, or people we have a hard time with. Love is the currency of those relationships that are transformed by the gospel. If there isn't love demonstrative love like God demonstrated his love for us by giving his son to die for us on the cross if there isn't tangible love love that's unmistakable that those people would would say you know what I think that person cares about me I think that person loves me and we're not paying our debt are we so let's ask it this way think about the people on your map Do they know you love them? And how would they know? How would they know? I'm just going to roll out some questions. These are just meant to be somewhat heart-searching and convicting for all of us. And just think about them. How well do you know your neighbors? Have you let them get to know you? We're busy, we're running, we have our own responsibilities. Is there time in your life? Is there space in what you do to allow your neighbors just to get to know you as a person? Have you ever had them to your backyard? Have you had any of them in your home? Have you been in their home? Would they have a reason to invite you into their home? Would there be enough of a, of a friendliness and, and, and just a connectivity there where they might say one day, hey, we're having a barbecue, come on over. Or would you like to have dinner together or watch the game together? Would they have a reason to invite you? If, if, if any of them, if anybody on your map, is there anybody who, if they had a problem, would reach out to you? They're trying to move a piece of furniture into their house or they're away on a trip and they think that the pipes in the basement might be freezing because of a cold snap and they want to make sure everything's okay down there. Or they know that you work on engines and their car's not running well. If any of them had a problem, if they were sick, if they had a family crisis, would any of them think, you know what, I've, I've got so-and-so, my neighbor's number and my phone, I'm going to text them, I'm going to call them and just let them know what's going on or just say, hey, could you help me with this? 
Is there any kind of connectivity there with those people? Because those, those very tangible, practical things where we help each other, aren't those the ways that we show we care? And we can flip that around because if we have that kind of relationship with people, we can also do the same with them, can't we? And just say, hey, could you help with this? Hey, could you check on this? And sometimes we feel like we should have it together. We as Christians should not be the ones asking for help. We should always be the ones who are giving the help. But you know what? That's a great way to connect with people around you. Say, hey, could you help with this? Would they say you are concerned for them? If they had a problem going on in their family, would you even know about it? Would there be enough of a flow of communication that you would be aware if there is some major sickness or accident or, or a surgery or a death in the family? And it comes down to that, that convicting question, would your neighbors say that you care about them? Is there anybody on that map that would say, you know what, yeah. Dean and Faith care about us. Would any of them say you love them? Would they use that language? And would our church's neighbors say that? That's a hard one, isn't it? So if we, if we could fill in the blanks, so-and-so lives here, so-and-so has this business here, so-and-so lives out here, and we could come up with five or six names... Maybe they know we're here because they see us coming and going, but would any of them say, you know what, there's some people in that church that actually care about us. They have shown love to us in a demonstrable way. The, the book that I mentioned, The Art of Neighboring, also, also issues the challenge not only to love very specifically and locally and individually, not just generically, but also not to love with an ulterior motive. I want to be careful here because I want to make sure that, that we understand this. We, as believers, we want to share the gospel. You want your neighbors to hear the gospel. We want them to be saved. Absolutely. We'd love for some of them to show up here for a service and hear the gospel. We'd love for any of them to trust Christ and be baptized and sit where you're sitting, right? We'd love that. And it's not wrong to have that motive but if our only motive is, you know what, I'm going to be nice to this person so I can give them a tract one day or so I can give, give the gospel to them one day, is that enough? Is that enough? And, and the point is that sometimes we have an ulterior motive in the sense that, well, I just want to be nice to them so that I might get a chance to share the gospel. Is that enough? Well, it seems that what God is calling us to do is just to love them unconditionally to love them sacrificially and tangibly and to care about them like the good Samaritan cared for that person just by having compassion. Now, of course, that's going to include sharing the gospel somewhere along the way, we hope. That is our prayer. That's the greatest good we can do for them, right? But I think sometimes it helps to think in terms of how can I just love this person and, and show concern and love them unconditionally, not just as the means to an end, but because God is love, and we are to love like God loves. And want the best for them, of course, but also do what's good for them. So that's just something to think about. So these verses not only tell us whom we owe and what we owe, but also why. And we find that at the end of verse 8, starting at the end of verse 8, why you owe. 
He says, for, F-O-R, that introduces the reason, he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Fulfilled the law. Now, we want to understand this reason, don't we? Because, in fact, the next, next verse here continues to expand that out because he lists commands that are found in the Ten Commandments, the law of God. So he says, if, if you love others, you actually have fulfilled the law. So what, what is he saying here? What is our relationship to God's laws and what are our responsibilities related to God's laws and how does love fit within that? So explore this with me. Uh, go back to, to chapter 5 of Romans, just back a few pages to chapter 5. So how are you saved? Are you saved by keeping God's laws? You know the answer to that, don't you? You're not. You're saved by faith in Jesus Christ who kept the laws of God perfectly and his righteousness is credited to you. How does that happen? What, what initiates that transaction? We know it's the work of God in us, but on our side, we know that is faith, right? So that's what he says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, having been justified, so Christ's righteousness credited to you. How? By faith. What do we have? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith. And he's naming now these wonderful privileges we have as, as those who have been justified by faith. We have access by faith. And look at what he says at the end of this verse. Into this grace in which we stand. So you no longer are obligated to keep the law to be saved, are you? And you are no longer condemned by the law. You are no longer the object of God's wrath because you've broken his laws. You now live in a place called grace. And that is a, a blessing that's just beyond our comprehension. Grace is God's favor. It's free to us. Christ paid the price for it, but it's free to us. And that's where you stand so you, you can draw a circle and you can step inside. You can label it grace and say, I stand in grace. I'm in a condition. I'm in a place called grace. Skip to chapter 6, verse 14. Chapter 6, verse 14. We're, we're landing right in the middle of an extensive passage about the fact that we are transformed by God's grace. We change. We're no longer dominated by sin. And look what he says in Romans chapter 6, verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. And there's a good way to think about it. So you are not under the law anymore if you're, if you're a Christian. You are not required to keep the law in order to be righteous. You are not, you're no longer judged by the law and deserving of God's judgment. You're out from under that. Right? The requirements of the law and the judgment that the law requires of you. But you are under grace. Now you live in the universe of grace. You are under God's free and full favor. You live in the favor of God. Does that mean you can do anything you want? No. We know that. Earlier he says, what, what shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that may, grace may abound? Certainly not. In fact, go with me now to Galatians chapter 5. We're thinking about 
what our relationship with the law is, what our responsibilities to God's laws are, and how that fits with this idea of if we love others, we're fulfilling the law. All right, Galatians chapter 5, look at verse 1. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. He's talking about that same idea of being free from the requirements and the, and the condemnation of God's laws. He says, we're free from that. Now, we're going to skip a little bit, all right? Stay with me. Drop down to verse 13. Verse 13. So Romans, sorry, Galatians 5, verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. There's that same word again. You're free from all that. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but look at what he says. Through love serve one another. There it is. So you are free from keeping the law to be saved. You are free from the condemnation of the laws. You're no longer under it in that sense, but you now can use that freedom not to do anything that you feel like doing, but to actually show love to other people. Verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word. Sounds very similar, doesn't it, to what he says in Romans chapter 13. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what he's saying here is that we no longer serve ourselves but others. And I could read on where it talks about, he talks about walking in the spirit. The spirit bears the fruit of love in our lives. And if we do that, then we will not be breaking God's laws by hurting others. In fact, uh, look, look, at, look in verse 18. If you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The works of the flesh are evident. Think about relationships. Think about God's commandments. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, idolatry sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, reveries of the like. So, so if we're treating people that way, we're not being loving, are we? Verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Can your neighbors observe your life and say, you know what, yeah, if, if you put that list in front of me there that, that, that the Bible has in, in verses 22 and 23, I could, I could check those off. I see my neighbor living that way. I see that in their marriage. I see that in how they treat their kids. I see that in how their kids treat each other. I see that from how they treat me. So the idea is that, that if, we are, if we are saved by faith and we are under God's grace and we are walking in the Spirit, that we will not break God's laws by hurting others. In fact, the flip side of that is we will fulfill God's laws and bless other people. We will bless them. Now, the law still informs us as to what God wants. Remember what Paul said at the beginning of, chapter, of Romans chapter 12? that you may prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God's laws show us what he wants, what his will is. So love is the fulfillment of the law. Now go back to Romans 13. You see the word, the word um, in verse 9 gives kind of a similar idea for the commandments. He lists Commandments that are in the second half of the Ten Commandments that have to do with our relationships with other people. And then the end of, of verse 9, if there's any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. By the way, as yourself means, hey, you're concerned about yourself, you care about yourself, you do things for yourself, 
do the same for other people, right? Treat them the same way. That's the idea. But he says summed up. Again, we're back into the language now of, of paying a debt. You can kind of hear the, the mathematical terminology in there, can't you? Summed up. In fact, in fact, I like to look at words and see kind of the background and some of the, 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 the pictures that are associated with them. And, and this word can be used of an entry in an accounting book, an entry in a ledger. And when I saw that, the first image that came to my mind was my parents, actually my dad worked a regular job, but then they also had their own little business, and uh, it was called Taylor Construction Company. And they had some homes built, or they bought some houses that were already built, and then they would rent them out. And so they had, I don't know, six, eight, ten rentals in Marietta, Ohio, where I grew up. And there was a, a man, kind of a family business, one man and some of his brothers, I think, that did a lot of work for my parents for Taylor Construction. And uh, so, you know, you can imagine eight or ten properties and just all the maintenance and repairs and painting and, you know, one tenant moves out and so having to come in and fix things and paint things and clean up and all that. So just hundreds and hundreds of little tasks and, and jobs and repairs and materials that would go into that. And I'm imagining this, okay, I'm thinking about my mom and she, my, she, dad would kind of do the logistics part of taking care of the properties and she would keep the books. She kept the ledger. I remember seeing one of her actual ledger books with all the lines. So what I'm imagining is uh, Andy Kern, who was, was one of the brothers, sending my parents a bill for all these repairs, let's say over the course of, of a month, and itemizing that list of repairs and the time for labor and, and the materials they had to provide, and just line by line, all of these items listed out and the cost for each one. And at the bottom, there's a total, right? And I can imagine, I'm not saying I ever saw this, I'm just imagining my, my mom looking at that and opening her big, big three-ring notebook checkbook, Taylor Construction Company, writing a check to the Kearns for one amount, and then writing in that ledger, Kearns Maintenance and Repairs. Not every um, can of paint, not every uh, piece of you know, dry drywall patch, um, not, not the, the carpet cleaning, amount, all that, just, just one amount, one entry to the Kearns for maintenance and repairs on rental properties. And I think that's the idea this word summed up. So the idea is that we owe it to people to show concern, to help provide for their needs. And we'll talk in a minute about some of the specific ways we owe it to them to not commit adultery with them or against them, not to steal, not to lie, and so on, right? We owe that to them. We owe it to them to care about them, to show concern, to help them, to do what the good Samaritan did for that man. And, and what's the ledger entry? What is it that sums all of that up? Well, it's love. So if I can think in terms of, okay, here's this individual, or here's this situation my neighbor is in, what do I do? How do I deal with this? How do I handle this problem? The first thing I need to think about is, how do I love 
them? How do I love them? What should our motive be for paying our debt of love? God commands it, so we obey him. It's his will. But more than that, it's, it's our way of living out the change he has made in us. Of living not under the law, but living under grace. And ultimately, it's our way of living and being like Jesus, isn't it? A loving person displaying the love of God in our lives and to those people. So, we, we know whom we owe, we know what we owe, now we know why we owe. Let's talk about how to pay this debt that we always owe. The commandments do help us know what love looks like. So I would say that, that what we find in verse 9 are some prohibitive instructions. So how do we pay our debt? How can you love your neighbor? Don't commit adultery with any of them. Seems obvious, right? And as Jesus said, don't do it in your heart. Don't look to lust and commit adultery in your heart. Don't kill them. Can you remember that one? Don't kill your neighbors. He said, you shall not kill. But what else did Jesus say about this? He said, don't be angry. He said, you've heard it said, don't, you won't kill. Don't kill somebody. He said, I'm saying to you, don't be angry to them, at them without a cause. So, so on our side, we should be the peacemakers, shouldn't we? And if a neighbor is contentious or hostile or angry or mean or wants to feud over the property line, we need to be the ones that handle that with love. Not reactively, not possessively, but with love. If they're not speaking to us, well, do what you can to break the ice. If they're being offensive, don't be offended. Even be willing to suffer wrong to keep the relationship intact. Don't steal from them. Yes, one of the ways we can establish a connection with a neighbor is to not only give help, but ask for help. You know, do you mind if I borrow that ladder? <laughs> do you mind? But then return it, <laughs> right? And if it's still in the garage, swallow hard. If it's been there for a few months, and just walk it back over and say, I'm so sorry, right? It's been sitting in my garage. Don't ignore it. Don't forget about it. Pay your part if there's some collective, uh, I don't know, in our neighborhood, um, uh, some of the neighbors used to get together and pay for one guy, to, a guy to come in and, and aerate everybody's lawn. And everybody pitches in 25 bucks or something like that. Okay, so if you go in together with your neighbors and you agree to do it and forget to pay, that's not good, is it? And they're left hanging. So, so pay the debt. Don't, don't steal. Don't lie to them. Don't lie about them. Don't give them a false impression. Don't envy, he says. Don't, don't covet. Don't envy their house, their car, their boat, their kitchen remodel, their vacation trip, their job, their family. So there are negative ways, prohibitive ways to love our neighbors. But look at Ephesians chapter 4 for a minute. Because what, what Paul does in Ephesians 4 is he takes the negatives and he turns them into positives. And I think that's very important because as we are paying our debt, the question is how do we pay this debt of love? Well, there are positive ways as well, not just negative ways. So look at Ephesians chapter 4 starting in verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, 
Let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. We think about that in connection with, with believers within the church, and we absolutely should, but we should think about it in connection with our neighbors as well. If there's a problem, if there's an offense, we need to learn to graciously have a conversation, try to approach it in a congenial way, handle the problem. Verse 28, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. I have one neighbor that way out gives me. He's so generous. He's, he, he'll give me anything. He'll share anything. He's way ahead of me. I should be that kind of neighbor, right? The kind of neighbor who people know, oh, if you need help, he gives it. If you got something that can, can help him out, they'll share it. Verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. What is good for necessary edification? It may impart grace to the hearers. How do we talk about our neighbors? How do we talk to our neighbors about the other neighbors? Stop gossiping and slandering and, and, and share truth and share love. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another. Just write that one right there, right? Just kindness. Time and words with neighbors, tender-hearted, we're concerned for them, their problems weigh on our hearts, and they know it, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Let me just throw out a list of positive ways, and some of them are connected to this passage, some of them are just, just ideas. Make a move toward them and get to know them. Make a move. Walk the dog, say hi, step to their door, with a plate of cookies, say hi, get to know them, practice neighborly hospitality, neighborly hospitality. It's amazing what happens when you sit down together with somebody over a coffee or a tea or a dinner or a barbecue and you're just, you're just there, you're just talking. And they begin to realize that you're a genuine person and you care about them. Be a giver, not just a taker. Don't always be the one on the receiving end of the good that neighbors maybe naturally do for each other. Be one who is giving, one who is helping, one who is contributing. Spread truth, not gossip. Already touched on that. Look for ways to show you care. Be conscious and alert and look for ways to show you care. How about just praying for them? We pray for people we love, don't we? Maybe even asking them. Or you know they're going through a hard time. Hey, I'm praying for you. Wow. Thank you. And help them in times of need. We'll be talking about this some on Wednesday night. We'll have some discussion and hope you think about some of the questions I'm asking you and think of ways to, to love your neighbors and our neighbors here as a church. As I said a while ago, I... I handed this out or made it available last May, and maybe you've used it some. I hope so. Maybe this will be a reminder and a challenge to use it and think about how you can love your neighbors and also for us to think about how we can love our neighbors around the church. And not just to figure out a way to somehow leverage them into coming to our church. But think about how to love them unconditionally 
just because God told us to, and it's like Christ. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Heavenly Father, for how your word challenges us, and I pray that it would do that, that it would challenge us today. You would shape us individually, shape our church. If there's anything we should be known for, it is love. So I plead with you and your spirit to keep working in us, keep chipping and chiseling and cracking, purging and purifying us until love shines through unmistakably, demonstrably, tangibly. Help us to be the neighbor who loves. In Jesus' name, amen.